start our message today, I want to ask you a very personal question. All of you in this room, ask myself the same question. And uh, the question I want to ask you today is, have you ever come to a place where you just felt kind of stalled, like you're just maybe stuck in your walk with God? I don't know, maybe you're feeling like your life is stagnant, it's unfruitful, and you're discouraged. Maybe you're tired of just kind of the mediocrity. You feel like you're so mediocre. Yes, you're a Christian, and you have these pockets of excitement and little waves of emotion that kind of come through you. But overall, like life is just kind of, ah, it's just, just boring. We're just kind of, kind of hanging in there. And listen, if you answered yes to any of those questions or like it, maybe it's like, well, that is kind of where I'm at. I want you to know that you're in the right place today because I want to talk to you about something, actually someone who has the potential to make a difference with all of that. In Acts chapter 19, there's this story of the Apostle Paul, and he's traveling around the world, and he's preaching, and he's building relationships with people, and he's starting churches here and there, and then he kind of circles around again and visits all these churches and these people that he had relationships with. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it says, he came into the town of Ephesus. And it says, while he was there, he met some disciples. And I'm not sure what prompted him to ask this question, but he asked him this very question. It said, have you received? He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? Now, now watch their response. They're like, no, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. Right now, I don't know if this ever happens like this at your house, but sometimes Penny and I sit down and we go through our weekly schedule, right? We, so Sunday night, we kind of look ahead and say, what's coming up Monday? Because we want to be on the same page. No surprises, right? We kind of want to sync our lives. And so inevitably, we're sitting down talking and Penny says, now you remember, so-and-so is coming over for dinner Friday night. We're watching the grandkids Tuesday or whatever. And I'm like, this is the first time I've ever heard about this, right? And, and she's not quite sure that that's true. She thinks that I heard about it and just wasn't tuned in or paying attention or forgot about. So here's the deal. I don't want anyone leaving this room today or leaving online, anyone hearing this message today, walking away from this place saying, I never heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that this is so important today is because when it comes to this idea of bearing much fruit in our lives, every single one of us, you and me, we need a dynamic adjustment to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to talk to you about this because this is so, so very important to us. Let me tell you what this is all about. Now, if you were here last week, you heard the introduction to this message series, Much Fruit. But in John chapter 15, or actually chapters 14 to 16, we have what's called the upper room discourse. And Jesus is meeting with his disciples on the night of his betrayal, before his betrayal. So he's sitting around the table with them. This is where they had communion together. This is where Jesus pushed back from the table, took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and then stooped down and washed their feet. And Jesus knew that his time was short. So did the disciples. And so Jesus knew that everything that he did and every word that he said mattered because he was about to leave and he wanted to say something to his disciples that would just sustain them uh, for, for a long time. And so he said to them, uh, he goes, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Remember this, the vine and the branches. And then he said to the branches, to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse eight, he said to them, by this is my father glorified. Remember, that is our number one goal in life. 
That's your purpose. That's what we're here for, to bring glory to God. And Jesus said, by this is my father glorified that you, to all of his disciples, that you bear much fruit, proving yourself to be my disciples. Now, what Jesus just said there was pretty hard stuff. He says, listen, if you are a true disciple, If you're truly my disciple, you will bear much fruit and you will in that process bring glory to God. You're not meant to live a stagnant, defeated and unproductive, mediocre life. No, you, all of us as disciples of Christ are meant to live a productive life that is bearing much fruit. Well, this whole message series that we've just entitled Much Fruit is all about helping you identify what those steps are that will lead you to be a fruit-bearing Christian. Like this is how we bear much fruit, by doing this and that. Now, last week we talked about the first thing that is needed, and that is in order to bear much fruit in your life, you need to have a supernatural change of nature. So we're all born once with this human nature, right? And the human nature is capable of a lot of things, but the one thing the human nature can not do is accept and understand the things of the spirit. So God in his grace and in his wisdom provided a way for you and I to have a brand new nature through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So now within our lives, we have this new nature, the spiritual nature with which we are able to understand and accept the things of the spirit. And this new spirit, this new nature also allows us to bear that fruit. So that was the first thing. If you missed that message, you can go back and listen to it. It is a very foundational message in what it means to pass from and move from just being the natural person alone to also being a spiritual person as well. Now, I want to talk to you about that spiritual side because this simply means that the Spirit of God, right, has a very significant part to play in you becoming a new person and you taking on this uh, spiritual nature. And uh, I want to talk to you about that because you probably have heard about the Spirit, and some of you know full well the reality of the Spirit's presence in your life. But just in case there's someone in this room, someone watching online today that is not sure about this Holy Spirit thing, maybe you're like those disciples in Acts chapter 19. Yes, I'm a Christian, I'm following you, Jesus, but I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. If that's you, I want to talk to you about this because this is significant. So let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter one, we read about this Virgin Mary who was suddenly pregnant, right? We, we know the story. It's part of the Christmas story. And when a virgin becomes pregnant, there's a whole lot of questions that come along with that. Mary even asked that question. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And then poor Joseph, her fiance, was like, what do I do with this? And it says he had in mind to divorce her. We're gonna just break up and just go our own ways, right? And then an angel came to Joseph and he said to Joseph, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for what is conceived in her is of the what? The Holy Spirit. Now, two verses later, we have the words of the prophet uh, who said this. This was all prophesied far before uh, this virgin was pregnant. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, in those two verses, early in the Gospel of Matthew, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, and God the Father. We call that the Trinity. 
At Grand Point Church, we have what we call is a doctrinal statement, which is a statement of belief. These are things that we believe they are to be essentials uh, for the Christian life. There are nine of them. And number two says this, we believe in one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in essence and community. Now, we call this the Trinity, and it is one of the distinctive marks of the Christian faith. Yes, there are many other religions who believe in an all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving God. There are even some other religions who believe in a trinity of gods, but they're three separate gods. The Christian faith is really the only faith who believes in the one triune God. Now, if you're asking me to explain the Trinity this morning, I'll, I'll do my best, but I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because you may think this sounds like crazy talk, right? How can there be a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit all in one person? There's been a lot of ways to explain the Trinity. Some, most of them fall short, but maybe to help you understand this is, number one, I'm a child. Secondly, I'm a father and I'm also a husband. So I have three parts, three different parts that I play. I'm fully in every single one of them just by being, you know, one person. So maybe that helps you understand that. However difficult it is to understand the Trinity, I will just say this to you. It is absolutely essential and foundational to understanding the awesome potential for productive living. You need to understand this. So now I don't play the lottery, but I read the news. So I understand that yesterday's Mega Millions lottery was like 1.35 billion dollars, right? So there was a single ticket holder. I was hoping that someone here would have won that. Anyway, we could have had a lunch or something like that after that, but, but, but someone in uh, Maine won this. Now, if I would play the lottery and I'd have that winning ticket in my hand, I think I would be over the top this morning with the, with, with the possibilities of my new life ahead of me, right? Because you know that a billion dollars solves all the problems in your life, right? You know that you can now just look forward to things and there can be joy and there can be all your problems are gone, right? Can I tell you something that's even better? I'll tell you something that's even better this morning. You may not believe this, but here's what's better than winning a billion dollars, and that is the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. Now, some of you might be like, wait a minute, Holy Spirit in me, a billion dollars. This is a little bit more exciting. Can I tell you why that's often true? Because this is more our experience. We have more of an experience with what money can do and how happiness can come and life can become better when we have a little bit more money. And the reason that we might think this is more exciting is because we don't often have the experience of the Holy Spirit that outweighs that. But I wanna to try to balance, not even balance this out, I wanna to try to let you know today how significant this is for you to have the Holy Spirit in your life. See, this is more than just one and a 300 million chance of you hitting it big. The Holy Spirit indwells every single believer. Now, I, I, I know that this is a little bit hard uh, to believe, but Jesus is with his disciples, right? In this upper room, this is the scripture that Jen just read. And he's gathered with his disciples. This is again, where he had communion with them. It's where he washed their feet. And uh, he knew his time was short. So he says to these guys, I mean, they knew it too. And they're like, Jesus, what are we gonna do when you're gone? And Jesus looks at them and he says, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask the father and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him 
You know him, he says to his disciples, because he dwells with you. And watch this. He will be where? In you. He's going to be in you. Now, what Jesus just promised was very clear. The Holy Spirit was coming to live in every disciple, making real the presence of Jesus and the presence of Father, the Father, not just for a limited period of time, but permanently. This, the Holy Spirit was going to kind of move in. See, the Holy Spirit is not a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is the gift of the presence of God in your life that makes you a healthy, joyful, peace-filled, and fruitful servant of God. Paul also teaches this incredible encouraging truth in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, where he asks the question, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have received from God? So, so every believer... Every believer, though an ordinary disciple, is by no means an ordinary person. If you, have, if you are a Christian, you are not an ordinary person because you have got the spirit of the living God inside of you. See, God does not live in St. Paul's Cathedral out in Rome. He does not live in the cathedral at Notre Dame. He does not live in a crystal cathedral out there in California. The spirit of God, or God does not live even in this building here at Grand Point. No, the spirit of God lives within you, which is why when you come in here, the spirit of God is alive and well because you bring him in here. But when you're gone, this is just a building. It's an empty place. I mean, it's where we worship. It's where God is acknowledged. But I want you to know the spirit of God is in you. Uh, otherwise, this is just a building. Now, what that means is you can lift your head, you can straighten your shoulders, and you can walk with confidence and gratitude because you have the spirit of God living within you. Now, I want to ask and answer three questions related to that truth. Three questions. Number one is, so when does this happen? When does this happen? I believe the best answer is found in Acts chapter two, where there's a bunch of people gathered together and Peter preaches this powerful sermon and it says people were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and they asked Peter how they should respond. Let me tell you, this is every preacher's dream. Like you just preach this message and everybody comes up and says, man, what do we do with this? How can we respond, right? So the other place in the scripture where cut to the heart is used is a little bit later in Acts where it speaks of Stephen and he, he preached this message and the people were cut to the heart and they got angry. They took him out and they stoned him. I would rather you go with the first one, okay? So you stick with Paul uh, and Paul's message and the people cut to the heart. They were saying, what do we do? How do we respond? And, P and Paul or Peter answers and he says this, repent, repent and be baptized. See, they're asking the question, what do we do with this? What do we do with this message, this gospel message? And, and Paul says, repent, or Peter says, repent. It's an old word. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this verse raises a lot of questions about this baptism part, but just like every other part of Scripture, this verse needs to be interpreted in light of every other part of Scripture, right? And here's what I want to say to you. Uh, following Easter, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to begin a message series that goes for six weeks up until Pentecost Sunday, and it's, all, it's going to be on the Holy Spirit. So if you have a lot of questions about this, hang on, because we're going to be addressing the Holy Spirit in much more detail in depth, but it's so, so important for you to understand the Spirit's presence within you. Now, 
The New Testament, again, I said we have to interpret this in light of the rest of the scripture. And the New Testament teaches that the reception of the Holy Spirit is something that takes place immediately upon your believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. There is no need to wait. There is no need to plead. There is no need to solicit another visitation of the Holy Spirit uh, to come into you. All who believe in Jesus instantaneously receive the Holy Spirit. So that's when it happens, when you believe in Jesus Christ. That moment when you say in your old nature, remember this old sinful nature, you say, listen, I I just can't live like this anymore. I want that supernatural change of nature. So you say, God, man, I just want to empty myself of me out of this nature. I want to receive that new nature. That's when the spirit of God becomes a part of your life. Let me tell you a little bit more about how it happens, because this is the second uh, question. How does this happen? Well, it happens when a person is cut to the heart. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you know, the word of God is living and active, right? So when you read the word of God, there are moments when that word is going to cut you. It is going to go right to your heart. It's going to kind of work you over a little bit. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you when that happened to me one time. So I'll just kind of put it this way. There was a season of my life where like this church thing was not really important to me. God was not really important to me. God's people were not the people that I would hang out with. God's word was not something that I even read. And so I remember living in those years of covering up a lot of stuff, covering my tracks, right? Because when you sin, you've got to do that. When you hurt people, sometimes you have to do that. And, and so that's the life I was living. And I remember one day, I don't know why I did it, but I just randomly picked up the Bible. And I opened it, and it went open to Psalm 32. If you know Psalm 32, this is a story about David, who was in the very same situation that I was in. He had sinned, and he was covering his tracks, and he was hiding from God, thinking he was still kind of, kind of making it work. And when I read this, here's what it said. It said, David writes this, and he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. I didn't like that right there, first of all, because, you know, this, this sin impacts and affects your health. It really does. It it affects your health uh, physically. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And then it says, through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. that's That's a pure picture of living with sin. And then he says this in verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then David acknowledges what happens. He says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When I read that, I was cut to the heart. I was cut to the heart. I knew better. Like I knew what I was doing. And this just wrecked me. And that's what it means to be cut to the heart. And see, sometimes you're reading the scripture and it wrecks you. Man, it destroys, it kind of destroys your wayward life, right? Which is a good thing. And it awakens you up and it kind of brings you back to the reality of what you need to do. So after I read this and I was cut to the heart, I had business to take care of. And I had to call a meeting. I had to confess some sins and take care of some business. But it was awesome. It was free. And so that's exactly what happens. That's what it means to be cut to the heart. 
right? The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. May I just say to you, let the word of God do that. Now for that to happen, obviously you've got to be in it. You've got to be in the word. And when you read the word, man, just let it speak to you. And if it begins to cut, don't close it. Keep reading because it is about some serious business. Third question I want to ask to you then is what is the result? So first of all, the spirit of God dwells in you. When does it happen? How does it happen? And what is the result? If you happen to pick up a handout on the way in, I just listed a few of the results in there. This is phenomenal. This is life-changing, by the way. So here's what happens. This is just a few of the things that happen. But when the spirit of God moves in and becomes part of your life, here's what happens or potentially happens. Because I guarantee you, some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, well, I've got this. I'm a Christian, so I've got the spirit of God in me. I don't like feel it. I don't, I don't know if it's making any difference. Like I don't feel any power. I don't know the joy that's out there. I'm kind of still in that mediocre kind of place. So for now, for now, let me just say it's potential. This may not be happening, but it's there and could happen. And that is this. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, he, the spirit comes as a counselor and advisor. Anybody here ever feel like you need that? Right? You're going through life, there's decisions, there's things that, how, how do I work this? The Spirit is a counselor and advisor guiding us in the way that we should go. I couldn't imagine living life without that. Romans chapter 8, verse 2, he sets us free from the sins that we cannot get rid of on our own. See, sometimes we know that we're sinning and we try really, really hard to stop something, right? And we just can't do it, right? It just kind of gets out of hand and we realize, man, I, I just, just can't do it. So the Holy Spirit is there to help you with that. John chapter 16, verse seven, he convicts people of sin. Romans 8, 10 and 11, he brings life, freedom and truth. Listen, in a world that is plagued in the bondage of deception and lies, this is good news. The Holy Spirit is, is there to do that. Romans 15, verse Verse 13, listen, this is a, a verse that my wife and I have been memorizing this month. We repeat this every morning, but he fills his people with joy and peace as they abound in hope. Tell me that is not something that you want. Joy and peace and abounding in hope. The Holy Spirit brings that. And then Galatians 5, 22 to 30, 23, the fruit of the Spirit in us. We all want that as well. Listen, I want you to know that every believer in this room is the Spirit's home. That Spirit that will do all of those things and more is in you. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, I wanna give you a second truth today. Uh, it might be just as gripping and potentially life-changing as the first, maybe even more. And that is this. Not only do you have the Holy Spirit in you, but number two is every believer can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every believer can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just say this. Just having the Spirit within you is different, or it's not the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. If you don't know what that means, this is not a good thing, right? It kind of, kind of messes your life up. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 
It's kind of interesting that intoxication and spirituality are in the same verse within the Bible. You may not think they go together, but the point is clear. If you're drunk with wine, you are under the influence, right? So uh, the influence of the alcohol enables you to do a lot of different things. Some people drink because it will comfort them. Some people drink because uh, they need to work up some courage. Uh, Some people drink just to loosen up and relax. I've had to have a lot of conversations with groomsmen uh, before the wedding. For some reason, they think that the drinking before the reception is going to help them get through the sacred ceremony, right? And we've had to have some conversations. And I would say to them, listen, if you come to this wedding and you're under the influence, I'm not gonna allow you to be a part of this. Uh, but but it, because see, alcohol does that. It makes you do some things, but they drink because they need to relax. They need to have the courage to stand in front of those people. And what Paul is really saying here is, listen, if you want, a, if you want courage, you don't need to guzzle it. I mean, get the real stuff, right? He says, I'm going to give you another comforter. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. Don't try to work up courage by drinking. The Spirit is courageous. If you need to loosen up and relax, the fruit of the Spirit includes peace from God, not to mention love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all those other things. Uh, back in the 70s, Miller Lite had a, uh, a commercial that they used to tout uh, the two merits of their beer at that time. Uh, remember what they are? Taste great and Less filling, right? Less filling. Now, you can debate the taste of of Miller Lite, right? But I think they got the second part, right? It's less filling. Because everything this world offers is less filling. And at the end of the day, what this world offers is really not something that tastes that great anyway, but the life in the spirit is something that is, is different. And so Paul says, listen, be filled, be controlled, be consumed, be influenced by the spirit. Right? And let me ask the same questions about this that we did with the first question. When does this happen? How does it happen? And what are the results? So when does this happen? Like, when are you filled with the Spirit? Well, I believe this may be understood by acknowledging Paul's use of the present passive imperative tense. And you're like, oh, great, grammar. Right, here we go. Yes, a little grammar lesson for you. When Paul says this in, in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, he uses the imperative, which explains itself. It's not optional. Paul's not just suggesting perhaps that, hey, you know, if you do this, you'll, you get a little bit more of the spirit or, you know, here's one of the things that could help you in your life. No, he's saying, do not be drunk with wine, which is an imperative, and do be filled with the spirit, which is also an imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. This is not just for like certain denominations or, or those people that are into this kind of thing. Right, you know those people that are into the Holy Spirit, right? You know, they get so filled with the Spirit and they do these crazy things and they speak in tongues and they fall down over the place. You know what that's like. So Paul says, no, this is not an option for you. This is for everyone, not just for certain people. Every one of you needs to be filled with the Spirit. Now we'll talk about what that looks like and what that means perhaps when we get into our Holy Spirit series uh, a little bit later in the year. But the second part of this, uh, this verb tense, is also says that it's not a one-time event. 
This is something that we do continually. Just as we continually breathe and continually eat, you're not gonna eat once and be satisfied. No, you're gonna continue eating. And as life happens, you and I need to be filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. The passive part of the tense means it's not something that we do ourselves. And I would kind of like, I think it would just be awesome if my gas tank would just fill itself. Like when it runs over, the needle gets to empty, I go out the next morning and it's full, right? It just kind of replenishes itself. It doesn't work that way. I have to fill it, right? I have to go to the gas station. I have to pump the gas. I have to pay for the gas. I have to fill it. The same thing is true when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just something that naturally happens overnight. No, someone needs to be a part of this. I think you know, right, right, who that is. So let me just say, this is when it happens. It happens, right, when you allow the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll get to the how here in a moment, but when you allow God to fill you with it. Now, let me get to the how part because the how and the when kind of go together. But it happens when we place ourselves in the right position to receive it. We've got to place ourselves in the right position to receive it. And you know what that position is? The position that you and I need to be in in order to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit is we need to empty ourselves of all the extra, extra, extraneous stuff in our lives so that there is room for the Holy Spirit to enter. Uh, the late uh, 19th century evangelist uh, Dwight L. Moody said it this way. I love this. He says, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, then the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure in this world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. And then he says this, he goes, I believe many a man or woman is praying for God to fill him when he is already full with something else. Before we can pray that God will fill us, I believe we need to pray that he will empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the spirit will come. It's so right. You cannot be filled with the Spirit of God if your life is full with this world or if it's full of yourself, right? So we've got to empty our lives so that we can be filled with the Spirit. And there's this parable in Luke chapter 14 that I want to talk to you about because I believe this, uh, this puts it into a perspective and kind of captures this. But Jesus is given this parable and it says, and he said to him, he talks about this man who was given this great banquet and inviting many people to come to it. Now I love this. He says, at the time for the banquet, okay, the table's set, the room is set, the venue is ready, the food is prepped, and it's good because this is a king doing this. He said to his servant, uh, he goes, go tell all those who have been invited, come. It's all ready. Everything is ready. But verse 18 says, they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, hey, I just bought this field. Like, I got to go out and look at my field. I got to go look at this property. Please excuse me. The second one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. That's a bunch of oxen, right? So I got to go check this out and I got to go see what these oxen look like. And I got to maybe just kind of see what they're able to do. 
Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just, I just got married. I can't come. I want to go on a honeymoon, right? I want to do some things with my wife. So the servant came and reported all these things to his master. He's like, master, I, I invited all these people and I told them to come. And in the next verse, it says, but, but, but then the servant said, but they're too busy. They've got other stuff going on right now or they, they're, they're saying it's, it's like not the right time for me to come. Now, the next verse says the master became angry. But I'm also wondering if he eventually maybe just got this little smile on his face. And then he said to his servant, he said, but you know, I love filling. I love filling. So fill this table. Fill this table. Fill it with people who have room in their schedules. Fill it with people who have room in their priorities. Fill it with people who have room in their souls. Fill it with open people. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they live. I don't care what they've done. I don't care if they have the appropriate wardrobe or if they can make sparkling dinnertime conversations. All I want is emptiness. And so the master said to his servant, go out again, go out again and go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant did that, came back again and said, sir, what you commanded has been done, but there is still room, still a couple empty seats at the table. Remember the master loves filling. And so he said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be what? Filled, filled. For I tell you, none of those people that I originally invited shall taste my banquet. Maybe you have that emptiness to give him. Maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you know Christ, but not closely enough. Not closely enough. Maybe you know Christ, but there's so much other stuff in your life. Man, you've crowded it with this and that and priorities. And man, giving your all to Christ right now and just accepting his invitation to the fullness of the spirit might not be at the top of your priority list. Maybe you're like, you know what? I don't want to do this now. Maybe wait till, wait till the kids are grown or wait till this, maybe wait till I retire because right now I've got business and I've got things to take care of. And I'm just kind of afraid if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead me to do this. He's going to lead me away. He's going to make me do some crazy things. I'm not, not ready for that yet. Not quite ready to give up my control of my life. Because see, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are out of control. It's no longer you. Now the Holy Spirit within you is controlling your life. It's good to be out of control, by the way. But see, you're not quite ready for that. So you've made all kinds of excuses and you're like, not yet. I like controlling this. I like holding on to this. I like where I live. I like what I'm doing. I don't, I don't want to do anything different. Kyle Eidelman says this. He says, the measure of filling we receive is in direct proportion to the level of our emptiness. And then he says this, how sad would it be 
How sad would it be to starve to death just outside the doors of the most delicious banquet in the universe with the dinner invitation clutched in your hand? That's what happens when we push back from the invitation of the master to be filled with the spirit of the living God. We push back and say, no, not ready for that yet. And we starve, we starve. We go through life and we're wanting and we're hungry for more and we're looking for more and this, ah, life just isn't working. We're starving right outside the door of the most delicious banquet of the universe. So what would be the result of just saying, yes, God, I wanna empty myself of me. I, I, I wanna just be filled with the Spirit of God. What might be the result of that? Well, I believe we go back to the verses that we looked at. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. You know, being filled with the Spirit means being under the influence. So now you're under the influence of the Spirit and you have this constant awareness of the presence of God. I like to think that that's my life, but I'll tell you, I need to be filled again and again and again. So that is a reality, but I don't ever wanna to come to a place in my life where I feel like I'm alone because there's so many things that happen where being alone would just be scary. Right, things that happen that we don't expect, the unexpected death of a loved one, right, a crisis that comes into our lives, a sudden loss or something that, that just wrecks us, somebody that just messes with us and, and we tend to get uh, you know, angry. No, I, I want the very presence of the Spirit of God to help me produce the fruits of the Spirit in those moments. And to live with a constant awareness of the presence of God is a beautiful thing. That's one of the results of being filled with the Spirit. I believe the other result is seen in that parable of Luke chapter, chapter 14. Be filled with the Spirit means tasting the banquet that God has prepared for you. It is living with your head up and shoulders up, walking and living in confidence because you're tasting the goodness of God, everything that He has prepared for you. And it's knowing the fruits of the Spirit in your own life so that you can just bear that and just kind of exude that with your life. It's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. You're picking up on the aroma that's coming from behind those banquet doors right now. Is your mouth watering yet for this? See, it's available. It's all available to you. The Spirit of God is in you, right? Just as a believer. But the filling of the Spirit is also available to you as you empty yourself so that you can be filled with Him. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray a prayer today. And this is a prayer that you might just wanna pray every single day of your life. And it goes like this, empty me, empty me, Lord, of all the extraneous stuff in my life, right? You know what that is. All the stuff that fills us, all the stuff that distracts us. And then fill me, fill me with your spirit. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment, bow your head. Let me pray this over you. Dear God, today I come before you and I, I'm, coming, I'm coming in my humanness. And I know, I know how easily I can get full of myself. Where life becomes about me and what I can control and what I wanna do and the people around me that I can control and how I can, I don't know, it's just, it's just part of that nature that resides in me. 
But God, I'm so thankful today that that's not the only thing in me. I'm so grateful today that I have the confidence and the assurance of having the Spirit of God also within me, which makes me able for all things. But now today, God, I pray, I pray that my life would be emptied of myself and all this stuff that from this world that I've brought in. I pray that for everyone in this room today. I pray for our online audience and just pray that right now in this moment, we would say, God, just take all of the stuff that I've put into my life, take it from me so that I can be filled, filled with the Spirit. See, the goal is not to be full. The goal is to be filled. So God, we wanna be filled by you today. So my prayer would be that all over this room today, that would, there would be this emptying of stuff and this filling with the Spirit. And may we just uh, have, have a different outlook on our day, different outlook on our life as a result of that today. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for that provision today. In Jesus' name, can we all say together? Amen, amen.